Oh, Lord have mercy. All right, guys, we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 12. When I originally started, I was going to do 12 and 13. So I originally sent those notes to the folks who uh, set up the slides, and then I decided we would still be here at 9 o'clock tonight. If I get five pages of notes, you guys are doomed. So I, we are just going to do chapter 12 tonight. Uh, this section that we're in is a section that's dealing with the uh, seduction of the prophets, the false prophets, those who were leading the people astray. Now remember, Ezekiel is in a refuge camp, refugee camp. And in the refugee camp, they're far from Jerusalem. So he's going to prophesy against Jerusalem. He's going to talk about what's happening in Jerusalem. But the folks in Jerusalem are never going to hear it. He's prophesying about Jerusalem for the refugees. Because the refugees need to know that God has a plan and a purpose for them. But currently, they think, hey, if God loved us, we'd still be in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem's going to burn. So if God loves you, you won't be in Jerusalem. That's bad. Sometimes what we think God is doing is not what God's doing. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever thought you knew what God was doing and it ended different? You thought it was going to go one way and it went a different way? Well, that is common with men. That we think we know what God's doing and then something happens and whoops, we were wrong. So as we listen to the message to the exiles, we want to be aware of our tendency to presume we know before God has told us. Usually what happens is we see all these things lining up and we say, well, that must be what God's doing. Sometimes all those things are lining up so God can do something else. So we don't want to presume. We want to just Walk with the Lord in the cool of the evening, right? When we go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, what did Adam do? Adam just walked with God. I just want to walk with you, Lord. When Paul would write about the end of his life, what was the thing he's looking forward to? He's looking forward to walking with the Lord. In fact, he said, all these other things, I keep my eyes off all of them, and I put my eyes on Christ. I just want, I'm, just moving, I'm just going to him. I'm just going to him. Happened to Paul. Paul would come and he'd think, I'm going this way. And the Lord would shut a door. And he'd turn and he'd say, I'm going to go this way. And the Lord would shut a door. And then he'd turn this way. I'm going to go this way. And the Lord would shut a door. That's usually a good time to sit down. Right? Just stop. So Paul has a dream. And in his dream, there's a man in Macedonia saying to Paul, come help us. And Paul gets up and goes, I'm supposed to go to Macedonia. So we want to be men and women who are waiting on the Lord. Isaiah said something about those who wait on the Lord. You remember what he said? He said, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. You ever feel like you're running out of juice? Like, oh, Lord, I'm so weary. Well, let's go back to that verse and remind ourselves, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. If I'm running out of energy, if I feel myself drained and depressed and striving, I'm probably pushing against things God's not asking me to push against. So I want to wait on the Lord and have my strength renewed so that I might mount up with wings like eagles, right? So we want to be able to recognize these things. And so 
The other thing we have to keep in our mind when we're talking about Ezekiel is that Ezekiel only spoke when God gave him something to say. You remember all the way back in the early chapters, God told Ezekiel, I'm going to take away your voice. The only time you're able to speak is when I give you something to say. That's probably a great plan. No? Imagine how helpful that would be. I would, I would have the taste of leather completely out of my mouth. Because I would not have my foot in it so much. Right? Job's friends, when I think about Job's friends, Job's, were, Job's friends were the best friends for the first seven days. Do you know why? Because they didn't say nothing for seven days. They just sat next to Job. Now, after that, they open their mouth and we have all kinds of problems. But before that, so there's some lessons there, right, for us thinking about not being presumptuous about what God's doing, waiting on the Lord, wanting to have a word from the Lord. Listen to what he says here in Ezekiel 12. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but see not, ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Now that should remind you, if you're a student of the Bible, that should immediately remind you of a... a, a a, what's, what's a good word for it? I don't want to call it a curse, but well, that's the only word I can think of right now. So it's say a curse that the prophets brought against the children of Israel because of their idolatry. You remember what they said about idols? They have eyes, but they can't see. Mouths, but they can't speak. Ears, but they can't hear. And those who worship them are like them. And here Ezekiel saying, he's giving that same description about these now he's talking about the rebellion he's talking about the refugees those who are set aside that got they're, they're part of the remnant god's going to use them to raise up a nation and he's saying these are rebellious people they don't see yet they don't hear yet because they are rebellious right that my mom should have named me that when i was born rebellious because it, I, it, for, and I don't know, maybe it's not like this for you guys, and I'm sorry, you just have to come along with me, but, but I, I literally want to rebel against anything. I just, it doesn't matter. We're just doing it, I'm sure all of you guys send Kathy letters, like, why does Jackie look like he does? Could you maybe make him wear something else, or would he shave his beard for, he looks like a homeless pastor, we'd like to, there's pictures of me online somewhere where I didn't look like this, and and so Kathy will tell me, she, I, I walk in the bathroom getting ready tonight, and she's like, maybe we should set an appointment. It's so funny. Maybe we should set an appointment for your hair. And, and I tell her, you do whatever you want to with it. She's like, well, no, we, we need to get it cut. No. Well, why? I don't know, because you want me to. <laughs> that's, that's about how, that's Honestly, that's how things, in my brain, it's, it's terrible to be there. <clears throat> so God, is. this is the attitude of these people. And God's saying they're so rebellious, they can't see. Because every time God tries to tell them something from a prophet, the one thing he can, God can count on is they don't listen to the prophet. They're constantly in a state of rebellion. So he, he's going to have them do a sign, uh, an illustration, right? He's going to mime a prophecy, and then he'll give them a word about what, what that's all about. In verse 3, it says, So as for you, son of man, 
prepare yourself an exile's baggage. So what's an exile's baggage? Exile, that, remember when they all came to exile, when they came to the refugee camp outside of Babylon, they came with what they could carry. So you put all your belongings in a sack and you walk to wherever your new home's going to be. And so he's saying, prepare your exile's baggage. And then he says, go into exile by day in their sight. You shall go like an exile from your place to another place in their sight. Listen to what he says. Maybe they'll understand. Maybe they'll get it, though they are a rebellious house. So he's trying to give a message that those in exile are the ones that God's going to be working and, and moving in. And so he's, he's saying, first off, they, they need to understand their condition. They're rebellious. Part one, you're rebellious. And maybe, maybe they'll understand. The question that, that springs immediately to my mind when I looked at this was, are we trying to understand what God wants us to learn? Are you trying to be men and women of understanding? Do you see a situation and complain about the situation or are instantly frustrated by the situation or are you asking, what do you want me to see? What are you showing me, Lord? Are you trying to be men and women of understanding? It reminds me, you know, I've, I've shared, I shared on Sunday, talked about what Mark shared. I think Mark shared it with Phil and Phil uh, had Mark shared at a men's breakfast in First Chronicles twelve thirty two, you have a listing of all the people coming to back David as David's going to become king, and there's a, just this one verse just jumped out at Mark and he shared it with Phil and Phil shared it with me and we've shared it a few times with you guys, but it says of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times. Are you trying to have understanding? The thing about Issachar was they weren't the guys, best guys with the swords or the best guys with the bows or the biggest army. They were just men who understood the times. And then it said they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Do you ever sit around and think, what should I do? I have two possibilities in front of me or 10 possibilities in front of me i wonder which way i should go what should i do what job should i take what house should i live in what where, what place should i live where whatever the the options before it says of the men of issachar they had understanding of the times so they knew what israel should do and when i when i'm looking at ezekiel 12 1 through 3 and he's saying to them he wants them to give this sign act and he says maybe they'll understand but there are people who don't see so well, don't hear so well, but maybe they'll understand. I want to have a heart trying to understand whatever it is God's trying to show us. Most people would walk by Ezekiel and say, what's crazy Ezekiel doing today? I don't know. He packed up his house and he's walking from that house to that house and moving his stuff in. That's weird. I wonder if there were people that would watch that and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in what Ezekiel's doing? I wonder how things would change if that's how we watch the news or read the news or whatever, however we get our information. If we were asking ourselves, Lord, what are you trying to show me? 
What things are you trying to lay out for me? Well, in verse 4, he goes on. You shall bring out your baggage by day in their sight as baggage for exile. And you shall go out yourself at evening in their sight as those do who must go into exile. And in their sight, (laughs) dig through the wall and bring your baggage out through it. So he's going to do a sign act. He's going to carry his baggage. He's going to walk from one place to another. You know, signifying the exiles. People going from one place to another. Then he's going to come out. <laughs> he's going to bring his stuff where everybody can see him. Only he's not going to have his stuff with him. He's just going to walk outside. He's going to go to the wall of his house and dig through it. So he's doing a remodel job. And it's mud brick, so he's, it's messy, right? He's going to dig a hole. He's going to reach into that hole. He's going to grab his baggage that he has. He's going to take that baggage out. He says, in their sight, you will lift the baggage on your shoulder and you, will, uh, and you will carry it out at dusk. You will cover your face, so somebody trying to hide. You'll cover your face so that you may not see the land, so he can't see where he's going. For I have made you a sign for the house of Israel. So that's the sign, so he does that. He does that before the people so that the people <laughs> can see. And this made me think, are you willing to obey God even if you don't quite understand why he wants you to do this? Ezekiel doesn't have no answers. Ezekiel, pack up all your stuff, move it over there. Then, come back, pack up all your stuff again, only this time go outside, dig a hole in your house, pull your stuff through it, cover your face so you can't see, and do this in front of the people so they can see what you're doing. Do you think the people ever asked Ezekiel, what, why are you doing this? Yeah, I'm sure they did. And it just makes me think, you know, of those things that, that you feel like God is, is asking of you. Are you willing to obey God even if you don't understand why? There's a lot of things in the Bible that we don't have to wonder, right? Uh, this is not, we don't even have to make this about, is God <coughs> telling me to go here or go there? We can just make it about what we know God is telling us. And maybe you don't understand why this is a thing for God. Why does, why does God have a problem with X? Are you willing to obey him just because he's God? Ezekiel was willing to obey even though he did not understand what he was doing yet he was willing to obey anyway now he goes on he he says in the morning the word of the lord came to me son of man has not the house of israel the rebellious house said to you what are you doing (laughs) i'm sure ezekiel's like yeah lord you know they were busting my chops all night last night ezekiel what are you doing why are you digging a hole in your in your house what's going on So the Lord says, say to them, thus says the Lord God, this oracle concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are in it. Say, I am a sign for you. As I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall go into exile, into captivity. And the prince who is among them will lift his baggage on his shoulder at dusk and shall go out. He will dig through the wall And bring him out through it. He will cover his face that he may not see the land with his eyes. 
So he's talking about the last king. The last king in, in Israel's history at this point is going to be Zedekiah. Zedekiah is going to be the last rebellion. There'll be one more exile. There'll be another group of exiles that come. Now here's why this is important. All of these early prophecies of Ezekiel are going to authenticate who Ezekiel is. Because we'll read the chapter when the exiles come. And when they come to the refugee camp as exiles, they're going to tell the other refugees what happened in Jerusalem. And the people in the refugee camp are going to say, you know, Ezekiel told us about all that. He told us about what would happen to the king. He told us about the events that were going to take place. He laid these things out for us even before they took place. There's going to be another exile. So there's another group of people coming. And there will be a king who tries to sneak away. He's going to try to get away. It says in verse 13, the Lord's still speaking to Ezekiel, and I will spread my net over him, and he will be taken in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, yet he will not see it, and he shall die there. And then he says, I will scatter Toward every wind, all who are around him, his helpers, his troops, I will unsheath the sword after them, and they shall know I am the Lord. So, the, so Ezekiel is going to go tell the people this. Now, we have a historical record of this event in 2 Kings. In 2 Kings 25, beginning at verse 1, it tells us about when this event happened. It says, now in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. They built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. Now on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the land uh, that there was no food for the people of the land. So a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden. And the Chaldeans were around the city, and they went in the direction of Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out his eyes, bound him in chains, and took him to Babylon. So <clears throat> the historical record is going to come after the final year, the 11th year of Zedekiah. <clears throat> but prior to that, Ezekiel acted it out before the refugees. He told them this is what's going to happen to the prince. He's going to cut a hole in the wall. He's going to make a breach. He's going to try to escape with all his army. They're going to try to get away. They're out of food. They can't fight. They're going to run. But they're not going to get away. The Lord said, you go tell the people. I'm going to cast a net over him. He'll be caught. And then he said, interestingly, he's going to go to Babylon, but he'll never see it. And when we read the historical record, we understand why. Because they put out his eyes. So Ezekiel is going to lay these things out for the exiles. He's going to lay it out so that they would understand 
what was going to happen. So now when we read a little bit later, when the exiles come, when the new band of exiles come to the refugee camp, they're going to share the things that happened during the siege. And these will all be things that Ezekiel had told them. So it's going to authenticate him as the official prophet, right, to the exiles. And as he continues on deeper into his prophecies, it's going to add more and more weight among those uh, that he shares. Now listen to why, why this is happening. It says in verse 15, And they will know that I am the Lord when I disperse, disperse them among the nations. So the ones who die by the sword and the pestilence, they'll know he's the Lord because they're about to meet him. But the ones that are scattered, these are the ones, they will know he's the Lord. Why? Because they're going to come to the refugee camp. They will have already heard Jeremiah's words in Jerusalem, right? About all the events that are going to happen. They're going to share that to the exile and hear that at the same time, Ezekiel was giving a similar word in the refugee camp outside of Babylon. He says in verse 16, I will let a few of them escape the sword, famine, pestilence, and then look why. Why is he going to let them escape? That they may declare all their abominations among the nations where they go. What does that mean? He makes a declaration to the refugees that one of the things God's looking for from the remnant is an admission of guilt. What did we do wrong to get here? What, what, what is the cause of the judgment? And so the prophets are continuously telling the people, why? Why are you here? What's going on? You remember the whole list, right? All the idols that were in the temple, all the idolatry that they were practicing, all the things that they were doing. They had the, the leadership of the nation of Israel leading the people into false worship, which, by the way, looks a lot like what our world looks like today. They had the state mandating how things were supposed to look. Well, don't worry about it. God's not going to care. You worship this God and this God and that God. You do it this way. I, I, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. Here's what the state says. You don't think we're coming into days like that? I promise you we are entering a time like that. So the state sanctioned idolatry, disobedience to the word of God, and God judged the nation. And he brought the remnant out, but he wants the remnant to be able to say, yeah, this is why judgment came. Because of our idolatry. Because of our disobedience to God. He wants them to declare. He wants them to understand, the remnant to understand. It's not because of any personal merit. He didn't save the remnant because they're better than the people who died. He saved the remnant simply because of his grace and mercy to allow the nation to carry on. And why does he do this? Because he wants the remnant to be able to understand and recognize the character of Yahweh. Does Yahweh judge sin? Yes. Does Yahweh have grace? Yes. Both are seen because of the judgment of the nation and the exile of the people. He wants them to understand his character and he wants them to be able to acknowledge their responsibility 
for their own sin. It's not, we're not in the situation we're in in our nation because of all the stuff they did. We are guilty. And guilty people need to uh, admit their guilt before a holy God, right? And receive <clears throat> the grace that he is offering. In Isaiah, the first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah brings several prophecies and he says, woe to you and woe to you and woe to you. In Isaiah chapter six, you know how that begins? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. In Isaiah 6, verse 5, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What's he saying? It's like saying we speak with forked tongue, right? The idea is we, um, with our mouths, we promise that we're going to follow God, but with our actions, we don't do it. And so he's saying, we, we made a covenant with God. We'll follow you, right? And why are they constantly in trouble? Because they don't follow him. And so he's saying, I'm a man of unclean lips. I've broken promises. And my people, the people I dwell with, they've broken promises. And when did he come to this understanding? When he was face to face with the king. The second part of the phrase in Isaiah 6, 5 says, For my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. I see God. And when I see God, I don't look very clean. Isaiah might have been able to say, I'm not as bad as that guy and I'm not as bad as that guy. And all these people I've been giving the woes to, they're bad people. They need woes. But when he saw God, he said, Woe is me. There's a, a point and a place for an attitude of confession in the people of God about our sin, our failures, to, to honestly be able to look at the Lord of glory. I'm a man of unclean lips. And the only reason I can ever stand before the God of the universe is because of his son and his provision for me. There's no merit of my own. And so the recognition that the people there that are going into exile, what is it that Daniel did that was so incredible in the book of Daniel? You remember the book of Daniel? You go through the book of Daniel, Dan, who's Daniel? Daniel's one of the guys in exile, right? Right? Same time, Ezekiel's prophesying, Daniel's doing his thing in the palace, right? Daniel's in the palace. He was part of the first group of guys that went in exile. And there's this beautiful prayer of Daniel, right? As he admits guilt for the nation of Israel. And he recognizes that the time of their exile is almost over. The 70 years are almost completed. And he prays to God and he and he's, you know, he, he has this beautiful, humble prayer. And Daniel, I'm always amazed because there's two, there's two guys in the Bible. The Bible tells the truth about everybody, right? 
And so when somebody messes up, what, what's David most well known for? Bathsheba. He, when he's a kid, he killed a giant. You think somebody would go straight to the giant, right? He killed a giant when he's a kid. Nope, nobody cares about the giant. What do they remember? Bathsheba, yeah, they remember what he'd done wrong. You know, Daniel, there's nothing listed ever about Daniel. I'm not suggesting Daniel was not a sinner. I'm just saying he was a pretty righteous guy. Yet he prayed this humble prayer to God, Lord, Lord, forgive us, restore us. Do you realize that the visions God gave to Daniel were amazing about how God was going to wrap up time? How he was going to deliver the nation of Israel? The things God was going to accomplish? Daniel's so blown away by some of the visions that God gives him. The Lord says, Daniel, just close up the book. It's not for you. There will be people later that it's going to be for. You shut up the vision of this book. Close the book. We started tonight talking about the men of Issachar who understood the times and what Israel ought to do. Isn't that what happened to Daniel in Babylon? He began to understand the times. The exile is almost over. What are we doing here? Man, we, we need to repent. We need to confess our sin before God. And so Daniel prays on behalf of the nation. And the exile comes to an end. The, the children of Israel go back. When they go back, I don't want you to think of that as some huge number. There's not very many who go back. In the low thousands. Remember when they had the exodus from Egypt? People talk about, there were millions of them. After the exile, they're small again few thousand leaving Babylon going in to rebuild the land how many does God need not very many right can God do a lot with a few what's he do with a couple loaves and a few fish fed a lot of people didn't he God does a lot with a little especially people who are committed and submitted to him and that's one of the things that marks the exile. Well, we want to do the things God is asking us to do. We want to understand who is allowing the things into our life. Who is allowing things into their life. He keeps saying over and over again that they will know what? I'm the Lord. It's me. I'm here. I'm the one doing these things. I'm the one bringing these things to pass. <coughs> he goes on in verse 17. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, eat your bread with quaking and drink water with trembling and with anxiety and say to the people of the land, thus says the Lord God concerning the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the land of Israel. This is how they're eating their bread. Remember, it, all of these things are to emphasize the attitude that the people had is we're slaves, God hates us, we're cut off. If God loved us, we'd still be in Jerusalem. And so Ezekiel eats his bread with quaking and anxiety, and he says, this is how they're eating there. The people in Babylon were, were relatively speaking, at ease. They had food, they had work, they could have families, they could build homes, they could plant crops. This is all stuff Jeremiah told the exiles when they were leaving. When you go, 
Build homes, have families, live, increase, don't decrease. For I know the thoughts I have towards you. You're familiar, right? So he's sending them there. He's saying, look, the people in Israel, <clears throat> in Jerusalem, this is how they eat their bread. They shall eat their bread with anxiety, drink water in dismay. In this way, her land will be stripped of all it contains. Listen, on account of the violence who dwell in it. So part of God's judgment, part of the judgment was violence. Now, what, what's the violence? Violence for what? Those swift to shed innocent blood. When the Bible talks about those swift to shed innocent blood, who is he talking about? So they, they were no different than us. No different than us. There were people, even the, um, um, Manasseh, the king that was the worst of them all, what did he do? He slaughtered two of his infant children in the building of his palace so his palace would be blessed. They have feet swift to shed innocent blood. And so he says, look, you're, this is on account of the violence. Why are you going without food? Why don't we have bread? Why are we filled with anxiety? On account of the violence of those who dwell in it. Because of the violence and the inhabited cities will be laid waste and the land will become a desolation and you will know I am the Lord. And you will know I am the Lord. How are they going to know he's the Lord? Because these horrible things happen to them? And so that's a sign that God's working? No. How will they know he's the Lord? <laughs> because God's prophet is right there in the middle of the city with them. And he's telling them what to do. And he's telling them what is coming. So that when it comes, they'll recognize this is what the Lord said was going to happen. This is what the Lord said was going to happen. Do you guys ever have your parents say that to you? Son, if you make this choice, life is going to be hard for you. You never had those conversations? You probably made all the right choices then. If you do this, if you don't learn, son, if you don't learn, I remember my dad telling me, the Dukes of Hazard is not real. <laughs> what do you mean, dad? You can't do that stuff. My dad went out to change oil on his Ford Fairmont. You guys know what a Ford Fairmont is? It's, it's not a very sporty car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad had this Ford Fairmont. So he goes out to change oil. So he climbs underneath, jacks it up, you know, climbs underneath it. He can't find the bottom of the motor. Where's, where, why can't he find the bottom of the motor? Because there's so much dirt packed under the motor, and the motor cooked the dirt like brick. So that the entire bottom of the car, if every you can't see drive shaft, nothing. Because Dukes of Hazard is real. <laughs> I jumped that Ford Fairmont out in the woods. Well, not really in the woods, sort of the woods. As much of the woods as there is in Kaipa. I jumped that. We were had contests about how high we could jump. And 
me and this guy were going off this jump out in the dirt. And it never dawned on me that every time I went off this jump and that car bottomed out, that the dirt I was bottoming out on was getting packed up under the car. It's one of those times the discussion with my dad started like this. Is there anything you want to tell me, son? <laughs> and I pretty much always answered that question with no. No, no. Because there's way more than one thing, and I don't know which thing you're talking about right now. <laughs> and that's when he told me, Duke's a hazard is not real. There's a price to be paid for the stuff we do. From 16 to 18, I totaled nine cars. Yeah, I get that response every time I tell that story. Nine cars. I totaled a car my dad had for less than 24 hours. In fact, I remember him saying, no, I'm not going to let you use the car. I just bought the car. I'm, no, you can't use it. Dad, I'm just going to take Kathy home. Yeah, that car never came back. <laughs> never came back. The police brought me back with the car. <coughs> yeah, that's the one that hit a possum. The possum didn't total the car. It was the telephone pole after the possum. Did you get so I did, and it was pregnant. Pregnant possum. Yeah, that was the end of that. Just like my dad would tell me, look, there. If you choose to live like this, to drive like this, to act like this, there's going to be a lot of. I, I lost my license. I don't even know how many times. One time I lost my license. I didn't know. You're supposed to look at the mail. I never looked at the mail. Who cares about the mail? I found out I lost my license when I got the, the letter saying my license was reinstated. <laughs> That's bad. Yeah. Uh, so there, there, there's just such a trail of brokenness. But my dad would tell me, just like God is telling the people in Jerusalem, look, if you live like this, there's going to be consequences to what happens. And if we've had our own children, you've had those conversations with your kids. And look, some things are scarier than other things, no? Some choices you make, sometimes you don't live through them. Sometimes when you're a kid, everything's little, you know? What did I care about jumping a car? What, what, could, I, what could go wrong? I was bulletproof. But I knew a lot of guys who didn't make it who did not make it through the Roaring Twenties or whatever that was, who did not survive. Kids who made choices and, and whose fathers or parents told them, I'm sure on more than one occasion, don't do this, don't do this. Isn't that the same thing God was telling the nation of Israel? Don't do this, don't do this. You're not going to be okay. The land is going to be decimated. He wants them to know, I am the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. What is this proverb you have on the land of Israel saying, the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing? Tell them, therefore, says the Lord God, I will put an end to this proverb. Now that's bad. Look, the, the Lord tells the people before something happens so they have an opportunity to repent. And now he's long-suffering, so they have an opportunity to repent. And now the Lord is saying, yeah, tell them, stop saying, 
you keep prophesying, bad stuff's going to happen. It never happens. Okay. Here it comes. Here comes the bad. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord, I'll put an end to this proverb, and they will no more use this proverb. Say to them, the days are near at the fulfillment of every vision. And so it came. This reminds me, 2 Peter 3, uh, verse 3 says this, Knowing this, first of all, scoffers will come in the last day, scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they have always been. People have always been saying Jesus is coming. And he has never come. The Lord said through Ezekiel, I'll put an end to this proverb that the things I promise don't come to pass. Verse 24, for there shall be no more any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord. I will speak the word that I will speak and it will be performed. It will no longer be delayed. It will be in your days, O rebellious house. I will speak the word and perform it. And in that generation who heard the words, it happened. In their time. When he said about King Zedekiah, he's going to dig a hole in the wall and try to run away. Guess what? They saw it. It was in their day. It was in their time. None of my words will be delayed any longer, but the word I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. Son of man, behold, they are of a house of Israel. They say the vision delays. It's not going to happen. So no, no more. None of my words will be delayed any longer. It is always the right time to respond to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, Working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I will listen. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Today is the day. Don't say the Lord's not there. The Lord is not going to fulfill his purpose. Know that Now's the time to respond to what God has said. Now's the time to turn away from our rebellion and turn our eyes to the Lord and allow him to deliver. Now's the time for us to be Daniels who lift our eyes to God in uh, humility and pray that God forgive uh, our nation, that he show us what to do during our time of exile. So that we could be men of Issachar who say, I know what to do. I know what we're supposed to do. And then do it. For the days have come upon us that scripture talks about. Hard days. Days of a government's eyes turned against uh, the church. I'm not talking about the tribulation. I'm just talking about persecution. Hard days are ahead. Hard days for the church. Hard days for our nation. May God show us through our study and his word what it is God wants us to do. And may we be men and women who do it. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you for this study in your word, God, for an opportunity to just read the prophecies of Ezekiel, Lord, to understand that we might know, what are you doing? Habakkuk, you said, I'm going to tell you something, you won't believe it. You won't believe what I'm about to do. And we look around our world, and I, I don't know if I would have believed how fast it would happen, how quick we would get to a place like the one we're in right now. But Lord, you didn't bring us here to destroy us. You brought us here so that we might confess, repent, and then prepare. Prepare for the day when the doors open. Prepare for the time when we will be called to stand, whether it's our generation or the next generation, Lord, that we would make use of the day. The Lord said, for the days are evil. There will come a day when they will say, right is wrong and wrong is right. They will give you bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Wonder how many times we thought we were already in those days. Maybe man have, has always thought he was already in those days. But certainly the days wax worse and worse. So God, we just pray, Lord, you would give us eyes to see, ears that hear. That we would respond to your word. That we would confess. That we would seek your empowerment so that we might be a people that know what to do and obedient people who then do it. So God, be glorified in this place. We look to you for our answers because God, that you are so worthy of our praises. You are worthy of, of it all, Lord. We want to honor you, glorify you, magnify you in the things we do. So God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.